Welcome to the First 90 Days podcast, bringing you the real story of how to go from idea to business in just 90 days. This podcast is focused on the journey of building startup Upski, a website performance monitoring tool. I'm your host, Lauren Davis, founder of The Growth Academy. And I'm Mark Berman, co-founder of What What Ventures and founder and head of product of the startup Upski. So today is day 39 of the first 90 days, titled Lead Generation is Easy if You Offer Real Value. Last week was all focused on content, from whether you should create it, what you should create, and how to maximize each piece of your content to work for you and, so, and to help you achieve your business objectives. This week builds on that same topic and talks about lead generation specifically. Why is a good investment of time and money for your business? how to make your content do the work for you in bringing in those leads, Uh, the best ways to automate your lead generation processes so you can focus your time on supporting your high-value customers, and also talking about some simple hacks and some not-so-simple hacks uh, you can use to get more leads in. Uh, Today we're talking about lead generation and how it should not be a complicated process. In fact, it should be easy if you're offering real value to your customers and reaching the right customers. So to start with, I thought we would obviously talk about Upski. And in thinking about that, dig a little deeper into the decision to offer a free subscription to Upski, essentially bringing in a lead on a an ongoing free trial, and then converting them to paying later. So essentially getting leads and then converting them to customers later rather than trying to bring people in as paying customers outright. So can you give us just a little bit of your thoughts behind that? Uh, yeah, sure, Lauren. Well, uh, I think in uh, one of the previous uh, podcasts, we had chatted about how there are multiple competitors out there who have existing offerings. So I guess because of that, one of the challenges that we have is how do we win and it could even be existing customers of those competitive offerings and how do we win new customers who can obviously very easily google uptime performance monitoring or is my website up or whatever um, and get back a list of many many competitors out there so with that in mind for us to be able to compete and and whatnot it's a no-brainer you know, to be able to have something, some base set of features that a customer doesn't necessarily have to pay for, that we can prove that we're better. And hopefully, once we've proved that we're better, we can then upsell that customer to now pay for additional premium features. And it may not be all customers, but we can we can upsell a percentage of customers um, to now pay for uh, additional functionality that free customers may not be able to get get access to. And maybe this is different depending on the nature of businesses that folks have in terms of, I guess, the world that we're in, because we have competitors, because there's, I guess, a precedent that's already been set. Some of our competitors have free offerings, which implies a core set of table stakes. For us to be able to compete, we have to at least, you know, be on par with what the table stakes are you know, versus what differentiation is, both unique differentiation from a free perspective, but then real unique differentiation from a get someone to pay perspective. So I think, well, two two things in particular spring into my head from what you were saying. And I think, firstly, it's how much should you give away? And secondly, 
you mentioned, you know, you're giving it away so that you can then prove the value. And in my experience, that can also be tough. So let's talk about the first, sec- uh, the first, and then we'll come back to the second. So I guess a lot of the people that I work with, when you say you should be giving something away free so customers think you're valuable, and then later upsell after you've built this relationship, uh, it seems intuitive now and, and maybe to you also, having built quite a few businesses yourself. But often people, I guess, can react strangely to that and go, well, giving away something of high value free or, or their perception of high value just to get a lead who may never convert feels a bit counterintuitive. And I think there's also a bit of a perception that if you give something away free, you can almost devalue your brand because uh, if you can get that free, then why should they then pay to, uh, I guess, upgrade or or purchase something else that, you know, by contrast is higher value. But if you were to pay for the first thing, then it would be of even higher value if that makes sense. So talk to me about how you decided how much you should be giving away free. Yeah, I mean, I think everything that you said, it's, um, it's, it's definitely, a, it's an interesting challenge that, you know, an entrepreneur, someone trying to launch something uh, has. I think there are a couple of pieces to this puzzle. You know, one, we talked about, um, you know, building some type of competitive matrix. And I think that's a very useful tool to understand, you know, who the major players are and how the major players are positioning free functionality versus paid functionality. And then also how these players are differentiating what they offer as free amongst each other, because it may be one offers a unique set of features free, but maybe competitor B doesn't, but it was done intentionally so that Competitor A has maybe some unique differentiation, if that makes sense. So I think using some type of matrix to try to, you know, get in writing black and white, um, you know, that breakdown of functionality and how that relates to different competitors, I think is an important first step. Then I think the, the art comes into play, you know, which is now trying to figure out what pieces of that puzzle do you offer free? And that, I think, is a slightly trickier, harder conversation. Uh, There's a couple of different ways to approach it. One is, and I think we also chatted about this, is trying to understand what the cost is to run a certain set of functionality. So in the what what world, um, we we go through a COGS analysis, cost of goods goods analysis, uh, where we basically take a a point-in-time snapshot where we say, if we're running at scale, and whatever scale means is that 100 customers, 1,000 customers, 10,000 customers, pick a number, what does that look like in terms of the infrastructure that we need to support that, the human uh, resources that we need to support that, and so on? And then we know what our actual costs are to run a certain set of functionality. From there, the question is, cool, so if I gave all this away for free, then I'm basically having to absorb that cost every month. And maybe that cost is a couple of dollars per month when you're running at scale. It's obviously a lot more when you have much fewer customers. So once you know roughly what that ballpark number is in terms of your, your, your COGS and what you might be giving away for free users, then the question is, how much, how much would you be paying if you were to you know, try to uh, market your offering you know, to an end user, because at the end of the day, you have to spend money 
whether it's, you know, buying ads or paying for, uh, you know, for articles to be, you know, hosted on, you know, whatever tech blog website and whatnot. So you're going to have to spend money to market your offering. I guess one of the ways that we look at this is that by, by giving something away for free, it's almost uh, a set of uh, marketing that you're kind of budgeting for in the new, in this new world of running something online. Uh, I'm not sure if that kind of makes sense or if it's too much of a ramble. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think that makes sense. I think there's a real shift away from these transactional relationships that I guess have been prevalent in the history of e-commerce. Like if you think about almost an eBay relationship where you're just searching for something you want and you're buying it at the lowest cost and you know, you might be checking the reputation of the seller, but you haven't built a relationship with them. That's probably as transactional as it gets. And now I really see the shift to more of an ongoing, deeper relationship that people have with the brands that they support and support both, I guess, with their money in terms of what they buy, but also in terms of their recommendations almost and their social uh, social support and interaction. So uh, that absolutely makes sense. And giving away this value free upfront is really almost it's like dating. It's it's buying the first drink and hoping that you uh, <laughs> you get the response and can ultimately have dinner and um, and who knows what after that. But uh, no, I completely agree. Yeah, that's exactly right. And 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 maybe just another couple of analogies. But there's a reason why you know big brands out there or even brands who are trying to establish themselves why they give away samples. You know, you know traditionally it was samples you know attached to some magazine or a coupon, um, you know, where you get X, X amount off or a free buy one, get one free. The whole point behind that is to build brand awareness and to remove that barrier for a customer, even considering a product, because if money is no longer the question, then, and, and, and if a product isn't able to drive um, some type of adoption, then clearly there's something wrong with the product or there's something wrong with the messaging or the value or something like that. So I think in many ways, you know, that's why marketers offer something free or a coupon for a trial or something like that as a way to kind of remove price from the equation. Because now a customer at the end of the day is comparing your thing against another thing that may be very similar that they might be familiar with. But now they're not having to pay for your thing. And they, and I think many people are very curious more often than not, depending on, on what, what, it, what the product is. But more often than not, I think people are curious to be like, well, it looks similar. Um, you know, maybe I'll give it a try. There's, you know, it's not costing me anything, if you know what I mean. Well, exactly. And it's, it's almost like first mover advantage doesn't really exist anymore in this day and age. Almost everything has been done before. So this is a way to remove the barriers for trial of a customer. And the other thing, maybe just to add, is I think it's, you know, when you look at uh, even like in traditional retail, you know, there's a there's a certain percentage of conversion when a customer enters a store, you know, whatever that store is, where they would buy whatever the item is. And usually that conversion is real low. It's, you know, maybe a percent, maybe lower as an example. So I think the same applies in the online world where, you know, just because someone signs up for your service doesn't necessarily mean that they're ever going to continue using your service, let alone actually be willing to pay for the service. And I think that's also part of the, you know, the funnel is that you need to 
drive demand, uh, in other words, get as many people signed up. And then separately, you need a obviously you need to do a good job convincing that what you have is better than competitors. But from there, you then need to basically handhold them through the process of now you're using it. What about you know potentially paying for some stuff that maybe um, you know you, you you might get some additional value value out of and so on. So even in that scenario, you know if I have a hundred users that signed up, back to the retail uh, example, you know there's only a very small percentage that are then going to convert into paying customers. But one of the challenges, how do you build that funnel? And even in traditional sales world, you know you have a you know a, a, a contact list of customers that you call. If that's 100 customers, maybe one or two of those 100 customers may even say, cool, c- come in for a meeting and you know, let's have a chat about it. So even there, the conversion rate still applies. And I think sometimes people forget that in the online world, which I think is part of why free is so important because it's part of building that pipeline. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, exactly. Getting the lead, getting the contact detail is just the first step. Then you really need to prove the value, build that relationship, prove you're better than the competitors and ultimately convert them, um, which will actually be the focus for next week. So I don't want to give too much away, but you have just got me thinking about speaking about traditional sales and the topic of sales cycles. So, you know, that is the time between a prospect uh, turning into an actual qualified sale or, or getting cash out of them. And thinking about what that really means in the online world and how you nurture the customer through those different stages of being, you know, a visitor, then a lead, then, you know, a prospective customer and then an actual paying customer. And then hopefully they stay there, but they can always drop back. Um, So, you know, these sales cycles are obviously not just for sales teams. And we've talked about how we're going to try and automate everything with Upski. Well, not try. We're going to automate everything for Upski. Um, using emails and other tools, but I'm interested in your thoughts on the cycle time for Upski versus, I guess, some of these more traditional businesses. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think this is one of the the biggest potential pros of running an online business is that <clears throat> if you can run it at scale really efficiently in terms of cost, resources, and so on, then Hopefully, part of that is um, also thinking about how to optimize that that cycle. And I guess one of the benefits that we have, especially nowadays, is there's so many tools that help remove some of those barriers that may have been traditional barriers. You know, how do you even find a lead, as an example? Well, in the online world, we generate ads, as an example, or you know, something similar. So I think you know. Part of what we're trying to do, um, you know, like like you mentioned, is automate as much of these pieces of the puzzle as possible, so that we can reduce the cycle to get, you know, not just someone subscribed, but to get someone, you know, potentially upgrading and paying as quickly as possible. Is that uh, three months? Is that six months? Is that one month? Those I think are all good questions. You know, we have an idea in mind on on what we think is reasonable. And that's part of what, what we're trying to automate. So we're talking weeks here as opposed to months here. You know, but that's one of the exciting things about tackling a project like this is that you know, we're coming in with a hypothesis and we're going to you know, validate that hypothesis very quickly you know, once, uh, once we open the floodgates and people start using, using our service. 
Exactly. Uh, and like, I'm glad you just mentioned tools because that's something we've been speaking about a lot, a lot recently with Upski and, and specifically, I guess, the tools that will capture our, our list of leads and build that relationship on our behalf in an automated way. So uh, I guess just a, a few of the ones I wanted to point out was firstly, and we'll, we'll talk about the exact process to convert leads in the next next week, actually, but these tools are something we need to start thinking about because it's where your leads live, essentially. So there's email, obviously, and for Upski, for us, that's just, you know tools like MailChimp or GetResponse where we can... Uh, list our contacts and start communicating with them and hopefully, you know, receiving replies uh, and then sharing more and more relevant and valuable information for them that ultimately build this relationship. They start to get to know Upski and keep visiting the platform and ultimately convert to customers. The second tool, and we've mentioned for Upski, obviously integrating with people's social platforms that they're using regularly uh, as entrepreneurs or, or within their jobs, things like Facebook Messenger and Skype and Slack, uh, those chatbots themselves can actually build that relationship for you, both in a simplistic way through almost timed interactions and, and offers uh, at the right time after they've seen value, but also like with the with artificial intelligence these days, you can almost make these chatbots feel more human and respond to people in a more human way and to the exact questions they're asking. So thinking about how we can use that uh, to build that relationship and ultimately convert our leads. And then the last option, which we haven't spoken about so much, but is having a, a really good CRM system in place which essentially would flag the higher value leads for us, um, potentially, you know, corporates with, say, a pool of 100 DevOps or uh, DevOps workers or, you know, an incubator or co-working space that might have 200 entrepreneurs that might want to use the product. So set, having a system in place that almost flags these for you where you can then go from being automated to this human intervention that's, you know, potentially needed for these building these longer-term, higher-value relationships. Do you, do you have any thoughts on those, Mark, or any, any more additions from your perspective? Yeah, no, I think that's a great list. Um, I think, you know, one of the questions that, you know, was popping in my head is, uh, as an entrepreneur, everyone's busy, yada, yada. Um, and, of course, spending time now automating means, you know, you've got less time to do other things. But I, I think, you know, there's a question here, which is, how much should I automate or what should I automate as an example? And I think, especially with repetitive things, you know, a great example is, um, you know, uh, email. So if someone signs up, um, you could manually capture on a daily basis a spreadsheet that says, um, you know, Joe signed up today, Mary signed up tomorrow, and you just kind of have this spreadsheet. And then you could manually, you know, say on day three, you know, you could reach out and be like, hey, Joe, uh, you know, how things going? Now, if you had to measure how much time that took you, you know, to, to go through every one of those steps, you could put a value against it. And I think that's just a great example of just at least one simple example of, of something that you could not do manually. You could rather, you know, it might take you a few hours or maybe a day to actually automate and then maybe a couple of hours here and there to kind of tweak. But once you've done it, as you grow, you know, from, you know, 10 to 20 customers to hundreds to thousands, 
you know, that's a huge savings in terms of time, which is now a tool is basically doing this on your behalf. Um, and I think that's a great way to kind of, you know, you make a list, maybe you make a list of the, the types of things that you would typically do manually. And then you just kind of, you know, go down the list of, well, I'm doing this 10 times a day, 20 times a day, a hundred times a week, whatever, you know, and then you just kind of, you know, tackle each one, one at a time, uh, learning about a new tool, implementing it, refining it, and then basically just letting it, you know, run, run on its own. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, this is something I feel very strongly about. I, I believe you should just automate everything that can be automated and you can always intervene if it's, if it's not doing its job on your behalf. But yeah, I, I think even as entrepreneurs, we really are already trading in both our time and most likely money for, for 95% of our listeners, I would guess, uh, for a potential future return. So if you're questioning whether the time up front to automate uh, is worth it, then it's almost the same mentality. You know, you're investing the time to automate this process so that you have a lifestyle business or all that time available down the track to double down on the things that will help you grow more quickly, such as, you know, strategic partnerships or, you know, another aspect to your business. So I completely agree with everything you said. Awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Well, on that note, and on one of our rare agreements, uh, let's wrap it up. And we will share this audio and some information around the tools we've been talking about, the links to each through the Growth Academy blog, which can be accessed at any time. So thanks for listening and tune in on Friday for day 41, where we will talk about some simple strategies, uh, hacks almost, to help you double down and get more leads into your business and get more leads into the Upski business. So as always, think big, start small and act fast.